All right, it is Friday, February 23rd, 2018, and it's actually not that cold of a Friday, uh, February day in Michigan, but for the gentleman across from me, I know he's probably freezing in his boots. Because I'm cold, brother. He's a, I'm cold. He is a, a, a Detroiter that has made his way to warmer pastures in Jackson, Mississippi. Kwame Kenyatta, the Honorable Kwame Kenyatta, a lot of different organizations, a lot of different things. How are you feeling? I'm good, man. It's good to be here in Detroit. As you said, I was born actually in Bessemer, Alabama, and uh, came to Detroit as a young person and lived here for 50 years. So mm-hmm. I came here at the age of 12, 62 next month. So I was here for 50, 50 years uh, and now in Jackson, Mississippi, went there in 2013 to work with uh, uh, the late mayor, Shokwe Lumumba. Okay, now first off, you just named this town in Miss in Alabama that I've never even heard of. How big is yeah, what, what's the be, name of that be, town? Bessemer. Bessemer. Yeah. Um, Bessemer was name? a steel guy, uh, so it is the 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 home of of steel. You got these plants mm-hmm. and stuff down there. Bessemer is about 18 miles, just uh, uh, east of just west of Birmingham. So it's it's right in the midst in the shadow of Birmingham, Alabama. Okay, so you in fact were, they came Dr. King and them came right through Bessemer when they were walking on that march to Birmingham. That there, there was a little church there, Fourth Fourth Avenue Baptist Church. As a young person, I can't remember exactly how old I was, but I remember the church was so crowded they sit sat the young people on the stage. Our feet was hanging off the stage. I remember that. Can't remember the speech, but I remember we were at Fourth Avenue Baptist Church uh, right before uh, Dr. King um, got to uh, Birmingham and headed on up to um, D.C. Okay. All right. So Birmingham and you made your your family made their way here. But let's talk a little bit about that at that time Mm -hmm. uh, with your age. So you guys were there during the time of like a a, a lot happening Mm -hmm. in the consciousness of a lot of people as uh, even the Montgomery bus boycott. um, It was a, it was a Motown song. My, my friend actually chopped it up for me. Not a Motown, a song, a guy from Alabama came to Detroit and he cut the record. Like don't ride that Alabama bus. Like Mm -hmm. it was a lot happening in Alabama at that time in the fifties and forties, but Mm -hmm. around the sixties, people were like, yo, we ain't taking this no more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what was that like? What was that like for your family? Well, and I only remember a little bit, you know, and I was born in 56. So, a lot of it was was beginning around that time, so I was definitely a, a young person. And then, of course, in the '60s, being a young person, uh, probably at that time about nine or ten, I remember some things. I remember the climate uh, because we went to Pipe Shop Elementary School, uh, and again, that's the steel area. So, Pipe Shop, they made you know all these. Uh, 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 pipes and stuff, and it's still down there. That plant is still there. So the the elementary school was called Pipe Shop, but I didn't realize at that time. I knew that there was a school closer to me with, uh, that I could see out, probably out my back door, but we didn't go to that school. That was McNeil. We went to Pipe Shop. 
But we had no problems with that because everybody in the neighborhood went to Pie Shop because they, we were all black, right? Mm-hmm. And McNeil was white. So even mm-hmm. though it was closer, it didn't matter to us. We had to walk further, but that's where everybody in the neighborhood was. So, so we were kind of upset when they brought in integration. And I remember just before I left, uh, at the end of, uh, towards the end of 68, uh, we were forced to go to uh, McNeil. Didn't like that, even though it was closer to the house. And I'm sure the adults, of course, thought it was a victory to be able to go to the white school and to integrate. But we wanted to stay at the black school as children. So I remember the white folks not welcoming us there, there were fights with these young. I'm, I'm talking about elementary school now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm at elementary school, uh, being called nigger and all of that, and being ran home, and all of this stuff was going on just as I was leaving. Before that, I remember my mother, uh, the phone ringing, and 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 her. She was not an activist. She was just like other black folks going to the meetings. Uh, that uh, to that meeting that Dr. King was having and uh, the Klan or whomever would call and, and uh, anonymous voice uh, telling them not to go to the meeting, threatening them not to go. Well, we went. So uh, there was courage amongst our folks. I remember them talking about some, some folks getting killed. I, I believe that it was uh, Luizo and, and others uh uh, getting killed. So all of that was going on, but we were children. And uh, so we knew that uh, there was a problem with white folks and black folks. They would ride through the neighborhood, uh, throw rocks at black folks or, or shoot at them. So those kind of things I experienced and heard about. But I never, uh, because I stayed in the heart of the black community, never went into the thing with the white fountain and the black fountain because we were in the all-black neighborhood, so there were no white fountains and there were no white folks. And so I did not experience that aspect of it. Okay. Come to Detroit. What led your family to Detroit? Well, we came here. My brother had uh, just got out of the service. He did uh, several tours of duty. What's, uh, uh, what branch? Uh, he was in uh, the Army. He uh, served in Vietnam uh, several times, I believe. The last time he thought he wasn't going to make it back, I, I remember him uh, singing the, uh, the wax off of this song by the Artistics, I'm Gonna Miss You. I mean, he played it and played it. It's still in my head today. played it at his funeral because I knew that was one of his favorite songs and I just didn't, you know, again, I was a young guy and didn't understand where he was going, but wherever he was going, he didn't think he was going to get back and he was going to miss us, Hmm. but he did get back. Um, He went to Korea as well. He went in young as a teenager and then came back, but what, when he got back, of course, couldn't find a job. Mm -hmm. Uh, It went over and served the country and all of that. My, uh, other members of families, uncles, had already migrated to Detroit. They were working in places like Chrysler, Ford, and General Motors. And so the custom then was to reach back and grab other family members and secure jobs for them uh, in the north. And so in, um, uh, in Detroit, they reached back to the folks and family members in Alabama. In Chicago, they reached back to Mississippi. So you see that direct line uh, based on when you look at the map, 
the direct line, I can't remember what highway it is, that goes direct to Mississippi uh, from Chicago. So that's where they went. We went to uh, Detroit, came to Detroit. And so that's how he got here. He came, and then he sent for us. He had already bought a house there in uh, in Bessemer um, and when he was in the service. So when he got to Detroit, he secured the job, secured a place to stay, and then sent for us. So that's how I got here at the age of 12. Okay, what house? What neighborhood? Where did you guys live? Uh, when you first initially, moved we moved over on a street called Bradley, uh, off of Crane. It's a dead end street. It's still a dead end street. No houses there now. And the house we moved in, I think, was owned by uh, a family member, uh, friend. And uh, he rented that house and stayed there while he was working. We came uh, to that house. So uh, that was on the east side of Detroit. And I came in, went to Butzel Middle School, I guess I was uh, headed towards middle school by then. Butzel may have had an elementary, I don't know, can't Mm -hmm. remember. Uh, But um, that's where I initially went to school. And then from there we, we moved over to the west side on Hanover. Uh, off of uh, West Grand Boulevard, uh, 12th Street, all up in there. Mm-hmm. All right, so what was that culture shock like? Because I know everybody was like, man, you sound country. And What, what, oh, what yeah. did you think of Detroit? Oh, man, I was, I was talking about <laughs> I'm going to the store. My mother sent me to the store to get a, a drink. So I go and ask for a drink. And the guy said, a drink of what? I said, I want an orange drink. I want a <laughs> strawberry drink. And, of course, up here, it was called pop. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think in other places, D.C., they call it soda. Mm-hmm. Well, down south, it was a drink. We we just kind of called things what they were, you know, mm-hmm. a drink. And if you wanted some green beans, they were green, so you, you got some green beans. But they also snapped when you when you when you did them so they would call them snap beans mm-hmm. uh i couldn't come to the store up here and ask for some snap beans because they didn't know what the hell i was like, talking what about drug are you talking about <laughs> right <laughs> and i was saying things like chunk rocks you know and tote this and mm-hmm. you know all that stuff we learned from from white folks down there in the south because it wasn't our language mm-hmm. when our people came here uh enslaved we were speaking yoruba and kikuyu and hausa and akan uh, and 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 we were taught how to speak bad English from folks who were speaking bad English from mm-hmm. England and were picking up other things. And then we brought Ebonics to it because we brought a sound uh, uh, concept to that and, and then integrated certain things like mama and dada or daddy, uh, which was part of our culture uh, and Madea and, and all of that Madea. And, um, you know, so all of those things came in. We modified the language with Ebonics, but it's not our language. And it wasn't our language, but we created a language out of it. Uh, so, yeah, I had, there was a cultural shock mm-hmm. uh, in, in trying to do it. But ultimately, uh, I got in and um, over there on Hanover, we we did things that normal uh, youth uh, did at that time, and I went to uh, Hutchins um, uh, Middle School on, uh, I believe Hutchins is on uh, uh, Woodrow Wilson, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say Hutchins is, 
Yep. And uh, one of those standing institutions. So from there, like uh, high school and, and what was that whole experience like? Mm-hmm. Detroit, yeah. the 60s, uh, you, you're seeing a lot of different shifts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there were a lot of things going on at the time. You know, we had to go past 12th Street uh, uh, to get to uh, Withrow Wilson, to get to Hutchins. Uh, the Black Panther Party had a chapter there uh, on 12th Street where they had the free breakfast program. We were kind of afraid of them, uh, so I never took them up on breakfast. I had breakfast at home, mm-hmm. so I, I didn't want no milk and cookies and that kind of thing. So I really didn't know what they were all about. They were these brothers dressed in black and, and white T-shirts and Tams and and that kind of thing and but later on of course as I uh, began to go through my schooling and there were people in the school who had been uh, uh, culturalized uh, and 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 they began to talk about some of the things that was going on so I began to pay a little attention we had some student uh, things going on there at Hutchins not much things around the lunch. On the food that we wanted. It wasn't really big until I got to Northwestern where there had been student movements at Northwestern. Uh, as I said earlier this week, Northwestern had been renamed Malcolm X High and uh, the cannon had been painted. I saw yesterday the cannon is all gray, but that cannon had been painted uh, red, black, and green. Yeah, and uh, let me say this. As the president of Northwestern's alumni chapter now, <laughs> I never knew that you were walking the uh, halls of Northwestern, yes, but yeah. I can add you to the list of people that, yeah. like I say, yeah. Northwestern has a heck of a legacy that yeah. definitely shifted as time shifted because mm-hmm. the Northwestern uh, alumni chapters are like the class of, uh, you know, 66. 68 is going on a, um, they're going on a, a uh, they're doing a, a cruise of uh, mm-hmm. a cruise of the Dominican this year. That oh, okay. So, um, yeah, a number of people that was at the program last night uh, actually attended uh, Northwestern as well. Big N O, as we say. Yeah, the Big N O <laughs> and um, Brother Gandhi uh, Sundiata um, Kayutu's uh, mm-hmm. brother, big brother, uh, was one of the student leaders there at mm-hmm. Northwestern. Uh, before I got there, and uh, I believe Lawrence Elliott and and, and others. I, I can't. I'm not sure about Lawrence. Lawrence may have went to Murray Wright. I'm not sure, but uh, there were a number of of brothers and sisters who were there at Northwestern, who were doing student walkouts, and then they would walk to places like Murray Wright and unite with them and uh, other schools. Um, 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 trying to think, uh, McKenzie was was actively involved with Brother Shokwayan's family was there at one time. So yeah, the the student movement was was kind of like the foundation uh, here in the north of carrying that that struggle forward. So yeah, I had some uh, some good teachers. Uh, there at Northwestern, it's, it's hard to remember some. Uh, there was one guy there named E. St. Chumming. Uh, I remember that. I believe he was an English teacher, but somewhat uh, progressive. And then I'm sure you know and everybody know Mr. Clarence Harris. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Harris is the one who brought uh, uh, the, the culture, 
there with Soul Day, which was the original festival here in the city of Detroit. They tried to get him to bring it downtown when they started having the festivals downtown, but he kept it right there at yeah. on the field at Northwestern. Yeah, Soul Day, Pee Wee, uh, Harris, he's, yeah. uh, we've, uh, the Northwestern Alumni Chapter honored him at uh, this past year's uh, breakfast. Yeah. Um, a, a heck of an institution when I started doing uh, my Hot Summer Nights festival over at Focus Hope. They were like, man, you need to talk to Pee Wee. So I was like, all right, I'll have a conversation. And I knew of them, but like mm-hmm. uh, a wealth of information, mm-hmm. uh, still fighting and in, in, in just an yes, institution. Is. Like yes, I, I ran into someone else about like when I think about some of these things that just stand out in my mind of big events. I remember the, um, and I know you'll probably definitely remember this, the Broad Street Parade. You know, mm-hmm. And uh, the church that would organize that for years and the right. West Side Cubs. And, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it was a mix of different cultural events right inside communities throughout. Right. Uh, and the stories I hear about my neighborhood, like Dexter, Linwood, Davidson, like uh, even Finkel, like some of these places that, that would have like, uh, you know, like Miles Davis would just be sitting in at a jazz club on Dexter. And it's mm-hmm. like, seriously? Like, mm-hmm. th- that Dexter? Like, like mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah, Broad Street Parade, and it was usually right around the time of Malcolm X Day. Yes. Either on the 18th, and of course we were celebrating Malcolm X on the 19th. Uh, Wendell Anthony uh, was there at the, the church for a long time there uh, at Broad Street. I think it was called Broad Street uh, Community Church or Broad mm-hmm. Street something. But, yeah, he, he was one of the organizers there. And then I, I think we started trying to merge the two, the Malcolm X Day uh, march. Uh, we didn't call it a parade, but we would work with them on that. Uh, but Dr. H- Mr. Harris uh, also brought in Dr. Ben, uh, Yosef Jokanen, who who wrote uh, many books, Black Man of the Nile, and a um, uh, number of other books that he brought. He had brought in Dr. Clark. Uh, that's where I began to meet Don Henry Clark, some of those folks, uh, him and Spencer Haywood. Spencer Haywood, who uh, I believe went to Northwestern as well. Uh, but Spencer Haywood was very active in organizing and doing things. Um, John, Big John Klein, and and others uh, who who John Klein, Dr. Klein was with the Harlem Gold Trotters, uh, but he would have these basketball clinics before the guys could could play ball. They would have to hear us speak. They would have to come in and uh, hear some folks speak. So yeah, Northwestern uh, was uh, a place, and and Shaw College. Uh, because uh, Mr. Harris would have the the uh, workshops between Northwestern and Shaw College. Shaw College, never even heard of this. Where it, was Shaw? College? Are you kidding me? Never yeah, even heard of yeah. This. Shaw College was a historical black college, actually, and I mean, uh, Lewis College of Business. But yeah, Lewis College of Business, but Shaw College. Where was Shaw College? Shaw. Uh, I, I want to say right there. At the location where the Skillman Center is today, I believe that's the location where Shaw College was. Yeah, that it is. Uh, but you should look up Shaw College. In fact, the memory, I hadn't spoke that name in quite some time. So, you know, as you begin to talk, you remember things. And so uh, Shaw College was a hub 
uh, Light Lewis Business uh, uh, College, and uh, the one downtown, there's another uh, business college um, uh, downtown on Dexter. Uh, I believe they're still there. They they uh, one of the long-standing black colleges. Um, can't think of the name. It's, it's named after two women, I believe. Uh, I just know Lewis was, and I take your classes at Lewis. Yeah. Uh, graduated um, from Walsh. A whole different cultural experience. Yeah. Looking back at it, I, I man, I really wish Lewis was still um, open. Doctor Bland as, and all those folks there. Yeah. yeah. Um, Doctor Robert Bland. But yeah, Shell College. Uh, a lot went on there at Shell College. Uh, we, we're gonna have to resurrect that. I had, I, like I said, I hadn't mentioned Shell in quite some time. So as I began to uh, look at how we tie in Detroit importance to the black liberation movement which is a piece mm -hmm. that i want to do uh we have to talk about these educational institutions and how they play a role uh, we oftentimes talk about the church and, and we should and, and the church of course was the center plate of a lot of the educational institutions like Wilberforce and all of those mm -hmm. as well. But you had institutions like Northwestern uh, where a whole lot of folks came out of and, and, and Cooley and Central and others. Uh, Joanne Watson, of course, when Anthony went to Cooley. And, and, and Central, Central. Central, I'm sorry, not Cooley. Uh, no, trailblazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right, yeah. You know, and as a Northwestern person, it's like yeah. you see that blue and be like, ah! Right, <laughs> you're like, no, it wasn't, it wasn't no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't the Mustang um, or the Colts. It, uh, it, it was essential. Um, you, mm -hmm. You're correct. But, um, yeah, so, so Shaw College was, was one of those institutions that mm -hmm. we need to resurrect and, and look at how going forward do we, do we work with institutions like uh, WC3 which, of course, a lot of folks went through WC3, and a lot of mm -hmm. people were the head of WC3 that allowed a lot of things to come through Wayne County Community College. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking to do some work with them soon now, and uh, Dr. Ivory's leadership mm -hmm. um, has, man, just the, the way the institution has changed, the opportunities. I'm a big proponent of any person uh, community college is definitely a good first step. It is. It uh, is. As far it as is. cost mm -hmm. and just as far as like interacting. So let's it talk is. about interacting for you because mm -hmm. uh, you, you, you're in town because you just gave a presentation honoring the legacies of Malcolm X and mm -hmm. Choque Lumumba. Right. But uh, in your presentation, I had no idea the, the, the connection overlapping time and time and time again. I knew some work with Malcolm X grassroots, but I had no mm -hmm. idea your ties to the Republic of New Africa mm -hmm. and relationship to Chokwe over years mm -hmm. was something that developed. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, in coming into the movement on a serious level, after having a, a brief detour, because, <laughs> you know, the, the, the counterculture was there uh, as well, like Superfly and all of that. Mm -hmm. So I had a, I had a gangster brim hat. I mm -hmm. wa it wasn't the crown that I wear. Now I had a gangster mm -hmm. brim hat. Uh, and, and street culture is, uh, you kind of referenced this in your presentation last night. Like, <laughs> street culture, it's a lot of, um, a lot of uh, especially for young black men, like how I love hip hop, like mm -hmm. through the through 
some of the interpretations that can be destructive, there are a lot of strong attributes and mm-hmm. traits that you mm-hmm. identify with in these stories of like, uh, like I guess for me, like Maserati Rick and, mm-hmm. and, and these characters, like, you know, the Chambers brothers. Like mm-hmm. you, you hear these stories of, of people that is, is like they're independent, they have the autonomy, they're doing what they want to do. Yeah. Uh, now it's yeah. destructive and detrimental. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they, they were uh, destructive and, and detrimental. But see, uh, two things can occupy the same space, and sometimes it, it, it does because you had the street culture, and that street culture was influential mm-hmm. in the lives of people because they also did. They played a particular role. At a time, the number the number man played a particular role. He would take your dream and, and 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 turn it into something meaningful for a penny or a nickel and bring you some money back. But a but lot the, of these uh, first number, a lot of like like black newspapers, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of businesses that like the first lending institution really for any black business. Yeah. That has been mm-hmm. around since let's say the forties. Yeah. Was more than likely the number man. Yeah, yeah, and 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 they would um, provide activities and uh, for children and uh, and when you read when you look at the American Gangster, mm-hmm. uh, you hear about people like Bumpy Johnson and, yeah. and and others who gave out turkeys and but mm-hmm. they were also selling drugs, you know, yeah. and and doing things in the community. So, in the absence of a Huey Newton, uh, and um, and uh, Elvis Cleaver and the folks who came along later, and Malcolm X and Marcus Garvey, as they stood on the street corners there in Harlem and, and began to take the center stage away from the drug dealers and the number men and the pushers mm-hmm. and, and began to talk about elevating ourselves to a higher level and having some stage of culture. So we all got hit by that counterculture. So, yeah, I had the maxi coat and the gangster brim hat for a minute and, and then quickly uh, began to hear uh, Stokely Carmichael uh, oh. during the middle of the day, they, uh, WC3, uh, was instrumental. Black radio was instrumental. They would they would play um, uh, "Lift Every Voice and Sing." You knew it was twelve o'clock when you heard "Lift Every Voice and Sing," mm-hmm. and then you would hear Stokely Carmichael, and then you would hear Jesse Jackson saying, "I am somebody." You know. Um, so even through like uh, whatever form of street business that you're in, because it all kind of intersects, whether mm-hmm. it's like drugs or whether it's, uh, you know, theft or whatever. But even through that, in the noise, it was the voices of of uh, of black independence, right. uh, black responsibility. Yeah, and, it, it and, became dominant. There, there was a movement. Yeah, there was a movement, and that movement puts the counterculture to the side and, and, and to the backdrop. And then the movement began to police the community. Because the police was on the take. Yeah. Now, on most most cases, you could sell your drugs as long as you gave them some. Now, or, or they would take the drugs mm-hmm. from you. But then when you had organizations like the Black Panther Party and the, and the, the uh, Republic, Republic of New, New Africa, Africa and others, then they began to say no drugs, period, and no pigs. So no, no police and no drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, 
so these brothers had to go away or go underground, but they could not occupy the same space as the movement because the movement was going to war with them as well as, as the police, sort of like in China when Mao uh, Zedong mm-hmm. said that uh, he declared a war on opium yeah. and, and had the cultural revolution because he understood that you had to change the culture. Now, that, yeah. now with that, uh, transitioning, and as you made the transition and joining the Republic of New Africa, and uh, I mean today, and, they say and a number of other organizations woke, before then, you though. know, but a yeah. uh, number of organizations and reading and just making the transition from the streets mm-hmm. to uh, nation building. Mm-hmm. What were uh, the the because this is the other thing, like in street culture, like you you have friends in it and everything. What mm-hmm. uh, what was their perspective of um, the nation building steps that you were making, like the people mm-hmm. that you were running with, like yeah. what, what was happening? Well, there? most of them were 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 um, transitioning as well, and like I said, I wasn't in deep. I, I didn't sell no drugs. Uh, wasn't wasn't into all of that. I was just dealing with the out of symbolism of okay. a superfly and all mm-hmm. of that identifying mm-hmm. because that's what we had at that time. That's what was on the screen. Yeah. Uh, that's what we saw as black expectation, black expect, uh, exploitation is, is we saw that. We didn't see the Black Panthers at that time until we saw them marching in the streets and, 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 and until I went to the shrine of the Black Madonna on Linwood and, and I saw all of these brothers and sisters in red and black and they were singing and the music and the drums and, and there was a black God and a, and a black Jesus and black angels and black Marys and, and that inspired uh, me to become part of of something and an entity uh, that was uplifting black folks, you know. Mm-hmm. So I joined, the first organization that I think I ever joined was the Shrine of the Black Madonna. Hmm. Now, my mother thought I had been brainwashed, you know, coming <laughs> That's in That's the next question, because yeah. she probably grew up more cr- traditional Christian. Tra- traditional Christian. Baptist South. Yes, right. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and the black families in the South, not as much today as it used to be, there were three pictures. One of Kennedy, mm-hmm. one of uh, Martin Luther King, and the other one was this guy they called Jesus, some white guy they called mm-hmm. Jesus. Those were the three Michael pictures on every Jesus house mm-hmm. in the black community. Mm-hmm. Uh, these were considered the saviors for, I for got black family folks. in the South that, that, that had those three pictures. Yeah. Well, and they've they, added Barack Obama to that picture. They've added Barack Obama to mm-hmm. that picture now. But I don't see, in, in many cases, they're still there. Uh, you don't see the Kennedys. Uh, you see Barack Obama. Even King, King is, is fading uh, in many cases in the House. Um, and I, I, I don't see the white Jesus. I still see him in some of the churches. And and of course, and it's probably and of course I don't go in all of the families, but I have great influence on my family, and so they know that white they dolls. Take down white Jesus. Yeah, they gotta take down that white Jesus. They got they got to, they can't give any white dolls to my nieces and nephews, and so whenever I see that, I I confiscate them and I. I order them some black dolls because mm-hmm. I, I understand the cultural 
attack on the psychic and the minds of, of young folks. And we know that Kenneth Clark did the, uh, Dr. Clark did the doll study and showed that. And they, they've done new doll studies to show that our children will um, see those white dolls and have greater respect for them, see them as being beautiful, as being clean. Mm -hmm. And that's what they want to carry home. But then they see the black doll, and they say the black doll is dirty. The black doll is not clean. They say, well, which doll look more like you? And then they hesitate, and they have to point to the black doll. But they didn't already said the white doll is clean. The white doll is nice. And so that's because everything that they have been seeing uh, attributed to good, attributed to an angel, uh, attributed to God, has been white. And so everything about them was seen as negative. You know, your hair is, is nappy. It's not good hair. You need some good hair. That your nose is too thick and, and your hips are too big and, and your lips are too big and you're too dark. And so our people hate it themselves. Malcolm talked about that. Uh, people hated themselves. They hated everything that had any relationship to black. And unfortunately, there are still some that hate themselves today. Uh, chocolate, little chocolate. And that's why this movie is, is, is important, even though we understand the capitalist aspect of it. You know, the Marvel uh, studio didn't do this for a black nationalist reason. They, they did it to expand what they're doing and to, uh, to make more and more money off of it, but it has another effect. And there are other people that's involved in it that has taken it to another level so little black kids now can see some, some, some hope and inspiration in a black superhero that can now translate to a black man other than a preacher in our community that's doing something, and a pimp and a pusher doing something in our community for them. Yeah, um, I finally saw the movie. I saw it late last night, so it was weird. <laughs> it was like I saw Kwame Kenyatta give an address on roles of nation building mm -hmm. in the black community. Then I go see Black Panther, mm -hmm. um, and it's all you know. I was performing. It's always good. The drummer I play with, uh, I've been working with him for a while, and uh, seeing his transitions and grow. But everything in the movie, uh, I, I definitely, as a person that, I'm just not a superhero movie fan. Me either. <laughs> I so, am not. So it's some of it that it's like, eh, you know, but relating, like you're right, through the lens of a child especially, mm -hmm. uh, it, it has to be powerful to see that that character yeah. and that yeah. story. And even the way they depicted the, the, the villain character, like in the empathy for his understanding of the pain he had in his heart mm -hmm. from feeling abandoned and not feeling as though he has a people that will support him. And I feel it's a lot of people that have that. And, and I don't know, like, to what... You know, it may be me someday. So, like, I don't know. Like, it's not absolute. Like, some days I wake up and it's like, yo, nation building. Down like this. Then some days I wake up like, man, why are my people not, you know, loving mm -hmm. me like I feel like mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be loved? Right. Uh, and then you still, I know society plays a big role on this. Is uh, The other day, I wanted to just watch a documentary on Netflix. And every documentary depicting black people was either like, a black man being wrongfully accused of like going to jail for something stupid right? or a black man that like, you know, or about black men selling drugs. Like mm -hmm. it was no documentary 
mm-hmm. in the in the hundreds of documentaries on Netflix in my Netflix feed that just had a black guy that's like, yo, man, I write books or I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a chef right. or I'm a, you know, I'm a scientist. It mm-hmm. was no documentary like that. Right. Every documentary with a black man was like the broader story of how mm-hmm. he was wrongly, wrongfully convicted right. or a black man talking about selling crack in Compton or something mm-hmm. like that. Like mm-hmm. nothing that depicted the image other than the black criminal and the criminality, which I know even in my own psyche, has to have an effect that I see this image, even though I know numerous black men that are not involved in criminality. But right. if I keep seeing this image, it, it mm-hmm. has to have an effect. Right, right, yeah. And and, and that's the kind of thing that, that's why this is is good because there there was no booty shaking. There, there, there was no exploitation of black women. The black women that were there were, were smart, Mm-hmm. Scientists uh, were defenders, mm-hmm. uh, uh, sisters, mothers. That that the whole imagery was different, and and there was respect for those women because they demanded that respect, and they were given that respect. And and, and it's unfortunate that <laughs> you know we we got to get that through a a movie based on fantasy. And, and, and superheroes. So so now make a movie that that deals with reality of black women in those roles and black men who don't treat black women like like hoes and bitches. Let's 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 deal with that in in a real sense, not in a in a superhero supernatural sense. You see what I'm saying? Because sometimes folks will will take that and say, "Oh, okay, yeah, that, well that's in Wakanda, in, in Wakanda, uh, but that's not in Detroit." And, mm-hmm. and and that's not in Alabama or Jackson, Mississippi, but that's where we need it to be. And mm-hmm. so the, you, you're right. And that is why this thing is important for us and what you guys are doing and telling our story. We have to tell our own story. We have to be our own griots, and we have to pass it down to our children because we, we can't get out of life alive. Which, uh, we're we're, we're going to leave this place, and so you have to leave something behind. You got to have a time castle for somebody to take something and say, oh, this is what was going on then. Which I, I, I do have this question um, for you here. And let me, uh, as you talk about that, education plays a key role. And mm-hmm. even uh, in, in calling to say, yo, man, I really want to have this conversation. But I really do want you to get into this story of um, of of you. And it was so many more people like Mami Mani and, mm-hmm. and uh, so, so many others in the fight for African-centered education. But I grew up through Detroit public schools, through a lot of fights, through people such as yourself, and you were like staunch in the fight because it was money on the table and opportunity. And like I Mm -hmm. say, when that money and that opportunity is thrown at you, it's not like, you know, it's no, it's not like the, the, the people in the room are walking in the room with like Ku Klux Klan sheets on and stuff. (laughs) They're smiling. And, and and often they have black people at the table and, and they'll give you awards and and everything. But you all had that. And I grew up, through DPS, and I graduated 2001 from Northwestern High School, but what I learned in high school was African-American literature. So my ninth and 10th grade and 11th grade, I'm, I didn't even get to anything of European till I was in the 12th grade when I had to do Canterbury Tales and stuff like right, that, because I think right. that's like a national mandate. Mm-hmm. But I'm reading 
Hockey Mob Booty and, mm-hmm. and Dudley mm-hmm. Randall and and uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X, the autobiography mm-hmm. of Frederick Douglass, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, Why the Cage Bird Sings. I'm reading this, yeah. learning different theories, and I'm being introduced to the best in black literature mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. through uh, textbooks and everything. But this was a staunch fight in a city with 85% black people. Right. And you all did this fight. Talk a little bit about that because yeah. I think that has an impression uh, I, I know that has an impression for right. me and my whole class of, of people that grew up in that era mm-hmm. with that text. Well, you, as you stated, uh, we, we had two two struggles on two fronts. You had the independent black uh, institution movement um, with Mommy Imani and others, uh, Imani Humphrey, who had been a teacher mm-hmm. inside of the public school system. Uh, and I came in contact with her when I got uh, expelled out of uh, Cooley because we were demonstrating, we were protesting, we locked the principal in his office. I guess we kidnapped him, uh, but we didn't hold him that long. We uh, we yeah won- under under premise <laughs> yeah that is that is uh, imprisonment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll get you a case. Yeah, dude. we held Meekwit in, in his office, and and we had a list of demands. We wanted the red, black, and green to fly outside. We wanted. Um, we wanted uh, black studies mm-hmm. in, in our classes and a number of other things in the library. We wanted more black books, and so thank uh, God that that uh, that thank God that administrator did not have guns. Right, 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 then. right. <laughs> yeah, we because we, we didn't have having this conversation. We, we didn't have guns uh, <laughs> at that time at all. So yeah, we would we would have been um, and and we would have been down, but um, uh, so. Through that, I came in contact with Mami Imani and others who had set up a alternative program for students who had been kicked out of the public school system and others who did not have their uh, diploma. So they would give them the uh, general education, um, the GED uh, diploma. And so somehow or another, I was recommended for that program, but they said, you got to leave here. You ain't got to go home, but you got to leave here. We don't want you here. So I got kicked out of the public school system. And uh, interesting because then I later on became the vice president of that board of education uh, down the line after I went through Mm -hmm. uh, a number of different uh, programs, uh, ended up at Eastern Michigan uh, for a minute. and got involved in some uh, demonstrations there. They were showing the movie. I met Malik Yakini. Malik actually went to Hutchins. I didn't know him there, but I, I met him up at Eastern Michigan. Mm. And um, they were showing the movie The uh, Birth of a Nation. Of course, I had been educated about Birth of a Nation. I was not going to allow that movie to be shown. And so, uh, which made mockery of, of black people eating watermelon in the halls of government and, and those kind of things. Movie made by W.D. Griffin, supposed to be one of the most full length movies. To, and, to this day, it's recognized. To this day. Even just, just this is the backwardsness of mm-hmm. a lot of things in this nation. To yeah. this day, like the American Film Institute, yeah. in any. Uh, uh, writer will say that that's one of the greatest films ever. Yeah, yeah. and going right. with the wind. Yeah, in the backwardsness in the messaging in yeah. these films. Yeah, what makes it great? Uh, what makes it great? There was no talking in the movie. It was black and white, 
you, there were subtitles and all of it was negative towards black folks. Mm-hmm. And the whole storyline was about the rise of the Klan yes. and saving the South and saving the white woman mm-hmm. and everything against these uh, these black folks who were yeah. coming to take away all that they had and that they were going to get the right to vote and this mm-hmm. is what they, they're eating chicken and they got their feet up on the yeah, desk I and mean, uh, like, eating watermelon. Here, here's another one. It, it yeah. is, it's, it's widely embraced and this is what my... Uh, damn near every other American in my age in the 10th grade is reading To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. And, to, and yeah. the story of To Kill a Mockingbird is the is the, is the the black man on trial that barely has an education mm-hmm. for raping a white woman. Right. right. And this is, this is like literature that it's like, okay, you're, not only we're going to present you how to read under this premise, but this is the story that we're telling you, the yeah. story you need to we be interpreting. We want you to read this, this story. This uneducated black man. Mm-hmm. Being aided and abetted by these uh, by these teenagers, possibly mm-hmm. uh, in in the challenge of this of what happened of mm-hmm. this rapist culture of black men, mm-hmm. you know that that's yeah. embedded. This is this is right. American education is teaching right. me this. So we had to we had to do some. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm jumping ahead. So I was about to get put out of Eastern Michigan, so I ended up leaving there. So uh-huh. I, I never I went to Tuskegee for a minute. Um, uh, so I never finished any of those secondary uh, institutions and uh, pretty much, you know, began to, to educate uh, myself in terms of any higher education. Ultimately, uh, we understood that there was a need for us to be at the table because at, at, at one point we did not, when I say we, Pan-Africanist nationalists, uh, did not engage in electoral politics. We mm-hmm. felt that the political system was rotten to the core, that it was corrupt, and it was compromised. And once I got in it, I found that it was all of that. And I maintain that it's all of that. I still maintain that it is a tool that we have to use or can use, particularly if we have the strength and the numbers to do so. Um, but there are other things that we have to do, and that is create a sound economic base. You don't see that. They got agent um, uh, respon- uh, um, representatives and, and others in office, but you don't see no major movement to register them to vote and to do this. They just do it. Most of what they do is control the economics in our community, not in their community, but in our community. And so we have to learn to do that as well. But at the same time, in places like Detroit, we we came to the conclusion when we were trying to get African-centered education by way of the three male academies, uh, male Senate Academies, Dr. Watson, Ray Johnson, and others, uh, and particularly Dr. Watson, Hakeem Anabuti had come here. They were having conferences, and they felt that we needed to have some male Senate Academy in order to save black males. There was all this language about the endangered species. The black male was the endangered species. He's more likely to go to prison than to college. And so Dr. Watson said, well, look, we need to do something. Uh, we need to set up these academies, these males' academies, where we can, based upon 
on African-centered principles because the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, all of that come from the age groupings in Africa where they take the males and put them in certain age groups um, and the girls and the rites of passage. That's where the Boy Scouts came. The, the, the white folks took that idea of male and female from that age grouping in Africa. So we were bringing it back home and saying, well, look, we need to have some male academies. And they said, oh, no, we, we can't let you do that. That's discriminating against black girls as if you cared. Uh, and, and so they, we got sued by, the, I call them the National, at that time, I called them the National Organization of White Women. Uh, but they were a now organization, National Organization of Women, uh, created uh, Jane Doe, who they said was discriminated against. But it was black women who were saying, hey, we think that's a good idea because we don't have any men at home. Uh, if you're going to have some men in those male academies that's going to inspire our boys and give them the education that they need so that our girls can have uh, uh, responsible mates in the future, we down with that. Black women I mean, were the, supportive the, of that. The one right here that you built, um, and actually it's so funny, uh, I'm going to mention Mayor Kilpatrick, mm -hmm. Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick, when he was a teacher, first, mm -hmm. fresh out of uh, FAMU, mm -hmm. Thurgood Marshall, and not, I'm mentioning uh, Kwame Kilpatrick, but the lineage of a lot of those administrators and teachers and men that, mm -hmm. that had an opportunity to teach there in the 90s. Mm -hmm. Like if you follow their path 2018 today, you have some of the, 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 uh, some of the, 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 the leaders of influence, not just in Detroit, but throughout the nation connected mm -hmm. to that school mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that yeah. were right there teaching a couple blocks away from my home right now, like mm -hmm. down the street from Focus Hope, mm -hmm. and out of nowhere, I, I still don't know the the fire that happened there. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. So we 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 the board of education at that time, uh, you had the Hope team, mm -hmm. which was a uh, a team of conservatives, some Republicans and whites who uh, the white community had put on the board in order to take the school district in the direction they wanted, charter schools and all of that kind of thing. And so initially they supported the concept of the all-male academies. Uh, and with Dr. Watson, it was going to be all-male and African Senate. So mm -hmm. the, the two names were connected together. But then they backed off of it when the suit came. So we said, well, they, you know, you all said you were going to support this thing, but now you're not supporting it. And then we realized none of us was at the table. It was just them, and we, we were yelling at them and screaming at them when we needed to be at the table ourselves. So it was then decided that we need to run somebody to get on the Board of Education. Uh, and I was in the Republic of New Africa, New African People's Organization at that time uh, because the, the Republic of New Africa transitioned into the New African People's Organization, which was a more militant and revolutionary aspect of the uh, provisional government of the Republic of New Africa. The Republic of New Africa is the nation as a whole, and then the provisional government was the organized uh, apparatus of that government. But there were those of us who 
uh, were in it who felt that the provisional government was not as revolutionary and progressive as it should be. And so the New African People's Organization was born as a part of the nation, not so much as a part of the PG, the provisional government, but a, a part of the nation as a whole, because a nation has many parties or pre-party formations, if you will. So I had to bring the concept to them, uh, we need to vote someone in, and I've been asked to run. Uh, and so there was debate, because they said, no, we don't engage in, in electoral politics. But Ashokwe supported it out the gate. He supported me. And uh, so ultimately, we did take a vote, and it was agreed that I would run. So I ran for Detroit Board of Education. I believe this was 84. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I guess it was. No, it was, it was 94, 94, 94 95. Uh, and, um, and so we won with over 106,000 votes, over 106,000 votes. And, and, I, and my, my, uh, my yard signs were red, black, and green. And, green. and you also had like uh, old school advertisement of uh, throughout the city of Detroit. There's probably still some uh, walls, but like, <laughs> you know, the, the, the side paintings, yeah, of, of of different stores, it was very prevalent back in like I assume. Yeah, I, think I know uh, Brother Kalinde had one on the side of his building there on Hamilton mm-hmm. uh, uh, Street, and so yeah, because we didn't have much money, so we had a grassroots campaign. I don't think I raised fifty thousand uh, dollars, but we got a hundred thousand votes. But that was because we had a history. Uh, in the community of, of, of working with folks' children at the Malcolm X Community Center, which was founded in 1984. So by the time we got to 1994, uh, a decade in, in we had been taking folks camping. Mm-hmm. We had been feeding people through co-ops. We had been helping people with their gas bills and light bills, mm-hmm. keeping gas from being shut off, all of those kind of things. So they knew our history and it wasn't just me it was our history so and they knew i was part of that history and we had already raised these questions of education and fighting for these male academies now also remembering that we we had female academies at that time we had three girls schools at that time but they were schools and one male school but the male school was the uh, frederick douglas academy still exists but it was only for boys who had been kicked out of school. And the female schools were for girls who were pregnant. And so we say, you got female schools. Why can't, but it's female schools for the negative. And it's a male school for the negative. Why can't we have a male school? We were only talking about one, but we ended up with three. When, when we got moving, we ended up with the Malcolm X Academy, the Marcus Garvey Academy, and the Macy, Macy Jeminson Academy. I believe those were the three. Um, and, and so the ruling was we could have the academy, but we couldn't exclude the girls. So we said, fine, no problem. We'll have the academy, but we'll have male-centered classes. The girls can go to the school, but uh, we'll still have male-centered academies, as uh, male-centered classes, as well as female-centered classes and rites of passage so we were able to uh 
to do that and creating. So once I got, and at that time, I'm, I'm mixing stuff up because as we started that fight and created those schools, I wasn't on the board. Uh, but in order to maintain those schools, I ran as a member of the uh, Malcolm X. I was the vice president of the Malcolm X uh, parent organization. Okay. And so we won, and then we began to implement what other folks had already laid the groundwork. It wasn't me. You know, people like uh, Brother M.J. Nabawi and uh, Brother Bonacci, Helen Moore, um, uh, Sister um, uh, uh, Shakira, and others had been out there. And then you had people inside the school system uh, that brought those books uh, 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 to you because we had a decade of child placed in crisis conferences, Kay Lovelace and Dahia Shabaka and others were uh, were doing those things over there at the Professional Development Academy trying to teach, but it still was not codified. And it wasn't until I got on the board and wrote and actually had Sister Dahia to write it, and I presented it uh, as the... As the um, uh, school board member, the African-centered resolution for the Detroit Board of Education that every class and every teacher and every principal had to uh, agree to implementing this concept. So we put it into the record that and this is an African-centered school district. And that alone, like that revolutionary act which you were a big part of mm -hmm. uh and it really like at, at that point you were kind of like the running back at the goal line mm -hmm. and the team got it down there and yeah. you all pushing it through like mm -hmm. you all in the in the offensive line of mm -hmm. uh i didn't know mama dai had a lot to do with that but that uh, here yeah 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 she, i didn't know yeah that. we placed her but, she was she was a social study teacher mm -hmm. but we we took her out of that and ultimately put her over the social studies department. Deep. Yeah. And, and this whole act of it is, is like one of the first, uh, when we think about the, the, the first transitions of the, the strong black power movement mm -hmm. throughout the city of Detroit. The, mm -hmm. it, it started, the first step in that fight was mm -hmm. the school system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we, we were able to do that, and we were able to take all of the studies. People like Naeem Akbar came in and, and was, was laying out the history, uh, mm -hmm. Malefe Asante, uh, Basil Davison. All of these folks were coming in and laying out. Because what Kay Lovelace, Dr. Kay Lovelace, who was over the Professional Development Academy, she, her thing was our children have been placed in crisis. And they, people didn't like that term because they said that assigned blame. You, you were blaming folks. Well, they didn't fall in crisis. They, they didn't walk into a crisis. They didn't create the crisis. They were placed into a crisis. African, uh, black, what was it called? African Child Placed in Crisis Conference. African Child Placed in Crisis or Black Child Placed in Crisis uh, Conference every year. And, and it was, people came in from all over the country. And then we be, it became the teaching tool and, uh, for African-centered education inside 
of the public school system. We already had African-centered institutions outside. Mm -hmm. Those were the most revolutionary and the most progressive. And we knew that there were certain things that we couldn't do inside of the system uh, in terms of African-centered education that you can't make people do. Uh, but we, we, we codified it and, and created a, um, a, a, a curriculum and, and that sister Dahia called it a curriculum on the wall. And so she put all of these classes and criterias, she put it in a banner uh, curriculum, and it was placed in every classroom was supposed to have that curriculum. Uh, you probably walked by it and didn't see it, but it was on the wall. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, was on the wall. God knows what foolishness I was thinking about in, yeah, in middle yeah, school. Yeah, it now, was on the with wall. with it, I do remember, um, like like I say, I was I was a, a student that benefited from that in my mm-hmm. era. Mm-hmm. As uh, when I graduated, by the time I graduated in 2001, so much, which you met my parents mm-hmm. did. But yeah. uh, in the, uh, you know... Uh, in the in the you know keeping schools uh, balanced in the city of Detroit was the first fight and and that was the first fight of many as we've seen like emergency management and basically yeah. the co-opting of uh, the black leadership structure of mm-hmm. Detroit mm-hmm. Uh, being taken away um, uh, in, in so many fights so with that as you see in that fight and I mean this was a big fight that you were talking about. Uh, and now at your age, and, and, and I'm looking at organizations interacting with your son, uh, Kofi Kenyatta, and, and a lot of the people I know, and we can see that in my relationship with Chokwe and mm-hmm. so many people. As you look at nation building and equality and balance and, and, and opportunity for our people, um, what are the fights that, that, that should stand as, you know, you all... You know, you all just basically, uh, if it was a boxing match, you mm-hmm. knocked them out. Mm-hmm. They they were on, they were down for the count, and then they were coming back for another round. And then the next thing, you know, you didn't realize that this person, you know, they, they you know, between the rounds, they put semen in their gloves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. just took a swing at you. Like, yeah. w- what? Well, see, I think we you know, always understood, and that's why I said last night that electoral politics is a tool that we have to use. Uh, but it's not the end mm-hmm. of all things for us. It's not our salvation. This is their country. This is their nation. And and this is their system. Mm-hmm. The educational system was set up to preserve, protect, and promote white supremacy. As the nation was set up as a white nation, we were enslaved to, to make it a wealthy white nation. Mm-hmm. This is not racism talk. This is real talk. We, we were taken from our homelands to make somebody else's nation wealthy, to make somebody else's nation sustainable. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we became citizens out of a struggle, not out of a desire to be citizens. And not, there was no vote that we took to be citizens. Uh, because, and that's what the Republican New Africa said, that, okay, if we're free, then we have to have the right to go back home, the right to stay, or the right to go somewhere else. You, you, you tell me I'm free and I can be a citizen of your nation, then you're stripping me of that freedom, number one. 
you know, because if I'm free, then I can walk wherever I want to walk, go where I want to go. And so you have 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment uh, Civil Rights Act here and there because they can never make up their mind on where we were supposed to be. And we were never given a choice as to where we were supposed to I be. I mean, really, the, 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 at the root of this discussion and argument, as, as I've read a lot into the Republic of New Africa, but... Um, it's the same discussion and argument for w- what happened after uh, post-war Germany mm-hmm. of a lot of the Jewish people that were still in Germany. And mm-hmm. they were like, OK, what is what are supposed to uh, what is sp- supposed to happen with these people? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, OK, let's create Israel, which mm-hmm. was an argument that already was brewing since God knows for forever. But mm-hmm. like uh, that. You know, the United Nations never came to, uh, it didn't exist, but the United Nations has never come to the aid of the of the black American the way that mm-hmm. the United Nations has stood uh, with others, but especially right. like the Jewish, the, the Jewish German mm-hmm. and the Jewish European after World War II. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And, 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 and we won't have that discussion. Uh, we will yeah. get back to to, but you actually you're right. is is similar in in terms of culture and religion uh, versus a people because there 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 were Africans who were Haribu or Haribu people who were Muslims who were Moors and uh, who were uh, Christendom, but they were all African yeah. uh, and had been taken and stripped from their land and no they didn't have the League of Nation and Ralph Bunch uh, to suggest that there were several places that they had suggested for Israel one was Uganda uh, and uh, I believe the other was Kenya and then ultimately Israel was chose but had they chose Uganda we would be dealing with them there now uh, as opposed to what the Palestinians are dealing with in their land and trying to have a homeland uh, mm-hmm. that these imposters uh, uh, st- stole from them, and that that may get your your program shut down. Oh, but it is true. <laughs> it it is true. But but trying to get back because you as you get older you forget a lot of points that that you're that you're trying to make. Uh, you were given the premise for the Republic of New Africa, and more so like where we stand as people and talking right, about right. in yeah. this fight. Yeah. So so what we understood was that we we were limited in what we would be able to do in the public school system because it's theirs. And we'll fight for what we need because we cannot abandon 183,000 students. At that time, it was 183,000 school uh, students. There were 222 schools. I understand there are only 40,000 now. Uh, You know, they they gutted the Detroit public school system because they saw what was happening. They saw folks like you coming out reading the autobiography of Malcolm X. They they saw folks uh, understanding their their culture and being proud of uh, proud of who they were. And they saw people on the bo- on the school system that they kicked out. We thought we got rid of this guy. Here he is now the <laughs> vice president of the school system and he's over the 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 committee, the quality education committee that chooses books. And so we held up $25 million purchase, books from Houghton Mifflin and others, uh, that was historically given every year. I went through each and every one of those books, and other folks went through those books, and we couldn't find ourselves. How are you going to have world history and black folks not in it? 
How you going to have a world history book and black folks down near the end of the book when we are the beginning of the world? They said, oh, we're going to we'll connect it. No, we said, no, correct it. Don't connect it. Correct it. Then we we said to the Native Americans, you all need to be at the table because I can't speak and teach your history. So we brought Native Americans to the table. They like, what? We can come to the table? We said, yeah, you can come to the table. And we created the Medicine Bear Academy out at Fort Wayne because it was historic to them. And and that created the first African, uh, Native American Academy in the state of Michigan, there are only three in the country, out of our African-centered understanding of what multiculturalism was. They were trying to teach multiculturalism from a perspective that black was subjected in the culture. And we said multiculturalism is when everybody have the right to self-determination to define themselves, and we respect everybody at their place. And it's not so much what you uh, commit is what you omit uh, to this thing as well. So we begin, we once this happened, they said we got to take this school system over. We had a ninety million dollar surplus. Detroit public school system was not in bankruptcy. We had schools busting loose. Dr. McGriff and other folks were there. We had um, what do they call them? Empowered schools. Uh, schools of choice, not chartered, but schools of choice, themed centered schools. We had to create and buy buildings for more schools because people were inspired and they wanted to go to these academies. They were Malcolm X Academy had a waiting list. Uh, Paul Robeson Academy, that was the other one. Paul Robeson, uh, Malcolm X, and uh, Marcus Garvey were the first three. Macy Jamison was the fourth one that we created, along with um, along with um, Sister Catherine Blackwell and mm-hmm. others. So we started creating these schools that had black folks' names to them. Mm-hmm. I remember a white guy across the street from Malcolm, and he said, I really don't have a problem. He said, the problem I have with this thing, he said, I'm not a racist. He said, a problem, why couldn't you name it George Washington? Uh, uh, no, he didn't say it was a, uh, Isaiah Thomas. It was some other sports person. He said, why couldn't you name it Isaiah Thomas uh, Academy or something like that? And I said, well, you say you're not racist, but you just said something racist. I said, down the street, it, uh, from here is the George Washington Academy. You don't have a problem with that. And you won't name that academy after a white boxer or a white athlete, but you got a problem with us naming an academy after a black leader. You would rather prefer a particular athlete that you support because you didn't choose Muhammad Ali. Uh, for us to name him after. So people had problems. I'm telling you, their folks were, were, were shooting at the schools and the buses out there in Warrendale. Uh, Warrendale was in Detroit, but it was so far and close to the suburbs, they thought they were in uh, the suburbs, but they, 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 the school had been closed down. There were enough people there to even go to that school. And so when we opened up the Malcolm X Academy, it was full. We had a waiting list. But this thing had gone national. 
So we ended up on folks shows like Jesse Raphael, uh, and I'm going to say Jerry Springer. At that time, Jerry Springer was serious, and he had real <laughs> shows. So I was on Nobody Jerry. Out, no, yeah, I was on Jerry Springer's no, show. No, uh, no ex-wife came out on you. No, no, no. It wasn't that kind of show. You know, this guy used to be a city councilman and yeah, all of yeah, that I himself. Yeah. And so Shockway was in the audience, mm-hmm. uh, and Shockway stood up and and spoke and and when he spoke and he said jerry said well you very knowledgeable shokway said yeah i should be up there as well so when they came back off break shokway was on the <laughs> on the podium uh with Hilarious. us talking about mm-hmm. the academy but we understood that we can only go so far and so the question was, where do we go next? I think that was the question. Uh, and we'll have to do a part two because I, uh, I know you got to yeah, run. Yeah, but we have to do a part two. But let me just say this. Mm. At this point, I done fought many fights, and I've been in many demonstrations and many organizations. The rest of my life has to be spent with substance and and has to be spent sustaining the lives of our people. And I believe that Marcus Garvey had the right formula and he mixed it together. But at the base of it was economic self-determination. And so you can't do what you do here without some resources. I'm provided a lot to to do this. For the resources. And so as other communities sustain themselves, we have to sustain ourselves. So many brothers and sisters, as I said last night, uh, who have been in this movement, who have been vendors and been fighters. We got brothers and sisters in prison. When they come out of prison, they can't find a job. But we as a community who they fought for, as a community who they gave their lives for, we are not waiting on them when they come out to provide them with a living because we're not sustaining ourselves. We don't have stores that we can say, you go work over here and then we'll bring you up. And once you get up, then if you wanna create your own store, we will finance you brother because you put your life on the line sister for us. We're gonna have to do that. Many of us gave up Jobs. Brother Shokwe could have been a wealthy attorney. He oh, had yeah. the intellect, the ability yeah. uh, to walk you out, just like uh, uh, other brothers who would take their shoes off and tiptoe out of court because they won that. Well, Brother Shokwe had that same ability, but certain cases he would not take. He would not take those cases. Money was put on the table, as you said, by dope guys uh, for him to take their cases. He said, I can't take this case. You know, so he he turned away. Uh, I remember when Coleman Young wanted to, to pull him in and have him in the Young administration to get him out of his hair. And, and Shokwe would not accept that. Um, and so a lot of times we make those sacrifices for the community, but the community make no sacrifice for those who fight for them. And that's what we have to get to, and that's what I want to be able to see, that for us to create the wealth. And there's nothing wrong with creating wealth. When we talk about creating wealth, folks think you're talking about being a capitalist. You're talking about having money in your pocket. No, we're talking about creating wealth so that when there is a Hurricane, hurricane Katrina, that we can fill up a bus. 
We can fill up a truck. We can get some planes and send and airlift resources down there to our people. What was it for us to look on TV and see black women and black children drowning in the water while the U.S. president was twiddling his thumb, uh, black folks sitting on the rooftops of houses and and couldn't get out. Uh, And we, 40 million strong, and with the resources that we have, now it's 1.1, trillion. And, and we cannot help Puerto Rico. We cannot help the Bahamas. We cannot help our people when a natural disaster or an unnatural disaster take place because we don't have the resources to do that. That is what we have to do going forward. We got to grow our own food. We got to make sure that we create our own wealth so that we can sustain institutions like this so that we can tell our own story. Mm-hmm. We, can, we can create schools for our children, camps for our children, and, and do some progressive things. To me, uh, if we're not talking about that, if we're not talking about self-determination, then as uh, Dr. John Henry Clark said, we're going to perish. Mm-hmm. All right. With that, it was a great discussion. I got to ask you one. I generally have three, but sure. I do got to ask you this just as a person that came in mentioning music. And I know you got a mixed taste. Uh, I generally ask, you know, what was your first car? Where did you go when you got it? Uh, and uh, who would you rename Woodward after? But I'm going to just ask you this one. You're the DJ at the fireworks, Woodward and Jefferson. You get to play three songs for the crowd. What are those three songs you playing? Uh, what would those three songs would be Uh, what's going on of course because we need to know what's going on Marvin Gaye uh, what's going on we need to bring it back to that Uh, the revolution will not be televised Mm, uh, by uh, Brother Gil Scott Heron and then uh, I'm not sure what the other song would be, but I would I would look for something from because uh, you know I used to do radio and I would play these songs all the time, uh, different songs uh, for our people. But let me because some, sometimes it's about the people that they know. Prince did a song that uh, a lot of folks don't know about, and it's called "When Will We Be Paid." And that song deals with reparation. I didn't know he had done, had did it as well. But when I found it, I played it. And it was called uh, When Will We Be Paid? And uh, I think that will bring it all together when we understand that the revolution will not be televised. That it, uh, Even though at that time when Gil Scott made that, you didn't have social media like you have now. So it may be televised, but on a different level. But once you find out what's going on in Marvin Gaye, then the question is, when will we be paid? Uh, because we worked, and the brother said last night, uh, next year is 2019. The first Africans who were brought to this country, brought to this country, we came on our own in explorations uh, before that, but in terms of mass amounts of us being brought here, uh, the first one was um, the Spanish. That was a Spanish settlement, but blacks rebelled, and so that Spanish settlement uh, did not last. 
uh, we would have been we would be speaking Spanish now. But the English settlement that did come uh, where Isabella and Anthony uh, and Chris Tucker was not Chris Tucker. Is it was I think it was Tucker, and the last name was Tucker. Um, uh, was born in 1619. So that's 400 years now. 400 years we've been in this country and we worked and we built and you have the audacity to tell us we still are secondhand slaves, we're still secondhand citizens, that we don't have the right to self-determination, to speak our own mind. If, if we want to kneel down to show that we don't respect what it is that you're doing. We don't have the right to do that, that we got to be called SOBs because uh, our athletes will do more than just dribble, that they have an opinion and and they will speak that opinion and, and not just collect their millions and play plantation ball. And so when will you give us what you've taken from us? Because you're rich as a result of your Thievery. You're rich as a result of the theft of the humanity that was wiped from the African continent. And then you went back and you took our gold, you took our diamonds, you took our silver, our cobalt, our uranium to make your bombs and everything else. And then you say that Africa is a shithole country, a shithole nation, a shithole continent? No. The bill of reparation must be passed forward to every generation until it is paid. Just like this light bill that you're racking up now. If you don't pay that bill, they're going to send it to you. Oh, yeah. They They'll will, send it to collection. The good, the good people at uh, Detroit Edison, definitely. <laughs> yeah, they, they will they send they it know, to the collection. They address. They and, address. Yeah, they will cut you off. So at some point, we have to cut America off. Mm. We have to stop being their willing subjects and take that 1.5 trillion turn it inward create wealth for ourselves but that still doesn't excuse you of the bill that you owe you don't get a pass and just because somebody wants to apologize whether it's the catholic church or anybody else who come forward to apologize for their role in slavery fine we got you we got your apology but give the wealth of the vatican back that you stole from us as well. All right. And then with that, we're going to close. How do people get in contact with you? I do want to give that because I know it's going to be people watching this like, I want to get them in the da da Well, my, uh, my email is Kwame Kenyatta, all one word, at gmail.com. There you go. And I'm going to have it under where you give it. we definitely going to get you back. Uh, uh, Kwame Kenyatta already has spoken into existence. Uh, more documentation and documentaries that he wants to do. And I'm going to be in the mix with that as he just dropped some gems on a couple different things so over time don't be surprised uh i guess hidden colors took off but detroit's black history is very strong yeah so i don't think we'll call it hidden colors but we'll do something we're, we're, i'm gonna be working with them mm -hmm. in the same way you are amazed about hidden colors you about to be amazed about some of detroit's black history thank you so much thank you Detroit is different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Download the app today on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store.